Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up? And shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hag, and with me as always... A Rob Van Hoff. What up in Shalom, Rob? Shalom. Caleb, do we have video this week? We do have video this week. It is going right now. We're very happy about that. That's what I'm talking about. Last week we did not have video. So a big what up in Shalom to everybody in the chat room. We got some new faces in there. Very happy to see you all. And a big what up in Shalom to everyone listening. We're so happy that you have tuned in with us today. And today is going to be, uh, I, I say this about every show, but I'm like, I'm brooding with, with exuberance for today's show. Yesterday, I was, uh, was kind of down in the dumps about today's show. And the reason why was because a lot of the time we are given an idea by somebody or on Monday, Monday is kind of the day where Rob and I get together uh, via Skype and talk about what we're going to uh, bring up on the show. And uh, a lot of the time what will happen is on Monday morning we won't know what to talk about. And so uh, we'll begin just kind of scouring different blogs and whatnot. And, uh, but this, this, this week somebody sent in a, a topic and I started researching the topic. And I thought this is a good topic. But I didn't really feel like I had a lot to talk about. So I thought, okay, maybe this is going to be a short show. Maybe we'll, you know, maybe instead of the hour and a half that we normally go... Maybe we'll be looking more at like 45 minutes or something. But lo and behold, I prayed and said, Lord, let's, you know, I give this show over to you and boom, we have so much material now this week. Last night, I had the uh, distinct pleasure of, of sitting in on a webinar. Let me, uh, let me move over here to my notes. I don't want to... Uh, is there anything else that you I just jumped right into this, isn't, Rob? Isn't isn't the webinar, isn't that Spider Man's tool that he hooks up to his wrist? Oh my word. The, oh no, that's a webinator. Your your jokes are getting as bad and never mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um let me pull up my sound effects here too, just in case. Do we have anything new? Oh yeah, I do have one thing new, but <laughs> I'll use that later because uh, I'm gonna use that when we're going to talk a lot today about Tobia Singer, and if you don't know who Tobia Singer is, we'll, we'll explain that. First, I want to talk about this webinar. Last night, I had the pleasure of sitting in on a webinar. This webinar was done by a gentleman in Florida, and uh, I had actually heard of this gentleman before. His name is, quote, Rabbi, Rabbi Michael Stepkoff. I don't know if I'm, Stepikoff, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I apologize to Michael if he's listening. Uh, He's down in Tampa, Florida, Tampa Bay, Florida. I'm going to read a little introduction to you. Now, I should tell you this. I'm reading this off of the IAMCS, which stands, I can never keep these these alphabet groups uh, straight. This is the International Assembly of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues. I think that's right. I could be wrong on that. Um, he's on the steering committee and that's interesting. We'll bring, I'll tell you why that's interesting in a few minutes, but, uh, he's on the steering committee, the IAMCS, and I believe that he is the rabbi of a, or the leader, I should say, of a, uh, congregation, uh, MJAA con- congregation down in Florida. 
And uh, so I'm going to read just a little bit of introduction of who he is so you, so our listeners have a little grasp on this. In August 1998, the Stepkoffs, uh, once again, I apologize if I'm butchering that name, responded to a call from the Lord to found and open a Messianic synagogue in Tampa called Mount Sinai. In 2001, the Lord led them across Tampa Bay to what? Pinalis County? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, where they renamed the synagogue New Jerusalem. Today, Temple uh, Temple New Jerusalem meets in uh, Tarpon Springs. And is a, uh, my geography is awful, if you can't tell already. Uh, and is a spiritual home for Jewish and Gentile people called to the modern day revival of Israel. And uh, the last thing it says is that uh, Michael is a accomplished songwriter. And he's actually written um, numerous songs with uh, my friend Ted Pierce. Uh, Mr. Pierce has been in my parents' home uh, recently, very recently, for Arab Shabbat meal. We had a wonderful time playing music, and uh, and uh, I was able to sit down and play some cello with him. So I know uh, Mr. Pierce well. However, I have never met Mr. Stepkoff. Stepakoff. I don't know how to say his name. So the reason that uh, it's interesting, anything that you want to interject here at all, Rob? No, go ahead. Okay. I, I, I don't know anything about um, Michael Stepakoff. I'm just looking at the Meet Our Rabbi page on their website. Mm-hmm. And I just noticed something that says that Basherta is Hebrew for soulmate. And that, that, that kind of thing has liked me because Basherta is a German word. And in Yiddish, it becomes Yiddishized and it means like destiny or fate. Um, but it's certainly not Hebrew. So I don't know why, who typed that message, if, if Michael did or if someone on his behalf. But that's wrong. That's 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 making something look biblical straight out of the gate. <laughs> no, I mean that makes something. That's a ding. Do we have a ding for? Oh yes, hang on. Let, let me the, the, uh, let the me shirt. Uh, so um, uh, as a soulmate, Jewish word for soulmate. It's it's Yiddish coming from German, but it's not it's not Hebrew. It does not come from the Bible as it sounds. Um. Okay, well, hey, let, 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 let's let's move on here because I don't want to spend too too much time. Um, so the, this is this is where many of our listeners might know Mr. Stepkoff from Stepakov. Uh, and once again, I apologize uh, for the pronunciation of, of uh, this gentleman's name, Michael's name. I'll just call him Michael from now on because I feel like I'm butchering his last name. Um, so uh, our, some of our listeners might know him from the IAMCS steering committee paper that was put out which uh, slandered my father horribly. And, uh, and I will give you a perfect example. Tim Hegg's teaching, this is from that steering committee paper, quote, Tim Hegg's teaching so strongly stressed the need for Gentiles to observe the Torah that it often sounded as if Hegg actually equates Torah observance to the gospel itself. That is a huge, huge problem for me. It was a huge problem for my father as well. He actually wrote letters to every single person on the steering committee asking them for, to publicly apologize for such an egregious statement. Uh, they go on to give an example of Hegg's teaching. Hegg argues based on the comparison of two scriptures, Matthew 5.20 and Matthew 28.19-20, that the purpose of, of the Great Commission was to bring toward to the Gentiles. The two scriptures Hegg references are as follows. They give those two references Putting those two scriptures together, Hegg arrives at the following analysis. They quote my father here, quote, the phrase, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, makes it clear that Yeshua teach, uh, Yeshua's teaching in Matthew 5, 17 through 20 
was a form uh, was to form a core aspect of this uh, curriculum the disciples were commissioned to teach the Gentiles. I would agree with that, of course. Uh, then the steering committee goes on and says, thus, according to Haig, the Great Commission is to bring the world into Torah observance. This is the major error of the one law teachers. They preach a gospel of obedience to law. The very antithesis of the true gospel. They preach a gospel of obedience to law. Yeah. Can we have a dean? Oh, man, can we have a ding? <laughs> a couple. Of course we can. Ding, ding, ding. Yeshua says the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment, Caleb? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. What, and what's, what is the second one that's like it? To love your neighbor as yourself. So are the, is that law? If someone asks Yeshua, is that the greatest commandment? Yeah, it's law. It's, that's law. Okay, how can, you, how can you say that loving God is a law? That's, that, isn't that legalistic? <laughs> well, no, okay, so last night, this, uh, let's, get, let's get back to, uh, oh, hi, Andrew. Andrew uh, just entered our chat room, and Andrew was actually in the webinar last night as well. It was good to see Andrew there. So we're talking once again about this webinar, and I pulled some clips from it this morning. I was fervently, or that's not the right word, I'm sorry. I was feverishly trying to grab as many clips as possible from this thing. I had to leave early because I went to a memorial service for a dear friend who passed away, and uh, and so I was only able to be there for the fa- first half of the webinar. And the second half of the webinar is really when it got good. And so I was listening to that today and trying to pull some clips. Listen to some of these clips from uh, from Michael and what he said. Now, the name, I should say this, the name of his the name of his webinar was a little bit misleading. To be honest with you, I thought this was going to be a let's dump on the Gentiles webinar. It wasn't. The, the name of the webinar was One God, the Poisonous Fruit of Hebrew Roots. Then, and that's the series name. And then the, the actual name of this specific webinar was The Hoax of Gentiles Keeping Torah. So right there, it makes, you, it, makes it sound like he's going to bash Gentiles and like he's going to bash uh, one Torah believers. Uh, actually, what he did was bash Torah. That's what he did. Mm. He bashed Torah. And uh, I think that uh, it will become abundantly clear why I say that. I'm sure if uh, Michael is listening, he's saying, no, I didn't do that. Uh, but I would uh, disagree with that. And I'm going to show you why. Here's a uh, first clip. This is from the webinar last night. Oops. What am I doing here? Here we go. Somebody, somebody asked, do you actually believe that Torah is basically a cultural expression of Jewishness. That was Andrew's question. No, I wouldn't say that because, you know, first of all, when you ask, whenever you use the word Torah, okay, what are we talking about? Now, I was talking about the dietary laws. Uh, you know, it's, it is a cultural expression of Jewishness. Um, but it's more than that. It's also a healthy way of eating. Wearing tzitzit is a cultural expression of Jewishness. So is uh, keeping the feasts in the Shabbat. That's not all that it is, but that is a big part of what it is, which is why I do it. I know I don't have to, but it's who I am. Okay, now I should say this. Throughout the, throughout the webinar, uh, Michael continues to say that he was not raised Christian. He was raised in a Jewish home. And so that the Christian doctrine and these things, he wasn't, you know, it wasn't in, ingrained in his mind, uh, Christian doctrine. What's interesting to me, well, let's keep going. So 
Um, right there, Michael, in this webinar, tells us that uh, he doesn't have to keep Torah. No one has to keep Torah. So I'm not sure how this is a Jew- how this is a Messianic Jewish uh, uh, belief. To me, it sounds very... Well, except that he, because of the my limited understanding of the group that he uh, is on the steering committee for, is is that Torah is a cultural expression for Jews. What part of Torah is a cultural well, expression? It's not a commandment anymore. In other words, it's not that God commanded, and then there are commandments, and there are people who are commanded. It's rather that it's like, oh, it's like touchy feet. It's like cultural expression <laughs> that's optional for Jews. It's like, oh, you know, it's just a, it's like, it's like, do you like, how do you like your coffee or, you know, how do you like your tea? It's a, just a preferential, if you prefer it or not, kind of thing. So, so he, he so said... it's about what I want. Yeah, exactly. It's about what, it's about what I, what appeals to me, not about that there's a creator of heaven and earth who actually ordained uh, a, a specific law. Well, what I see happening here is now uh, Michael has now basically turned on Torah. I see this as an assault on Torah. Mm-hmm. He has he, now he's he's not dumping on Gentiles for keeping the Torah yet. He's dumping on the Torah. And as to me, someone who claims to be a messianic rabbi and then dumps on Torah and says, no, we don't have to keep it. Well, then why then just call yourself what you are. You're a Christian pastor, right? I mean, maybe that's harsh. Maybe I'm not seeing the the. Uh, the fine line here, but I, I don't understand how that's not Christianity. He's teaching he's teaching a standard Christian doctrine. And for our Christian brothers and sisters out there uh, who are listening to this, okay, I'm not trying to dump on Christian pastors either. All I'm saying is, is that it, to me, I don't see a distinction here. Now we're blurring the lines between what Messianic is and what uh, Christianity is. If you're going to be a Christian pastor, that's fine. Be a Christian pastor and teach, you know, teach Christian doctrine. That's fine. But what I'm saying is, is that for me, I would see messi- a messianic faith as not dumping on the Torah. In fact, I would kind of think that that goes against messianic faith to dump on the Torah. Let's listen to uh, this. I, I pulled five clips here. Let's listen to a second clip. Adam Smith. He asked, do you think Kashrut and festivals will be observed in the Messianic kingdom? Good question. Uh, <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> I mean, what? I can only speculate. Okay, hang on just a second. I want to pause this. But I think that it... Oh, wait. Okay, He's, we got three seconds left. I think that it will be. Okay, he can only speculate. How can you only speculate? The scriptures are extremely clear. How can you speculate when the end of Zechariah says that we're going to all come up, Jew and Gentile, to celebrate the, the, the festival of Sukkot? How can you speculate when the end of Isaiah tells us from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath? Well, that's a division in, in you know, different rabbis teach. Some teach that the commandments are all going to be done away. I think FFOZ, I've heard Boaz Michael teach that live. At a, I saw him speak, and he said that all the dietary laws are going to be done away in the kingdom. And I was just like... Oh, my goodness. But what do they do with the, the unclean? I will remove the unclean food yeah, well, from, the, no, from between just, their teeth. I don't know. I don't know. But that's the uh, Boaz Michael clearly has taught that, that the, that the commandments are done away in the kingdom, which is weird because his latest statement is that there's a distinction. It, it's I, I don't know. Anyway, 
Doesn't it? I, I mean, isn't that? I don't a, want to hijack the. Uh, isn't that? The no, flow here. Oh, hijack! Isn't that dispensationalism? Yeah, I I would think so. It doesn't. That doesn't. I mean, <laughs> I'm just. My, I'm I'm just having such a hard time with with all of this. Honestly, I'm having uh, a hard time uh, understanding exactly why you know. Michael in this webinar continues to say, oh, I don't have all the Christian baggage, but yet all he's doing... So for him, wait a minute, why does he take the title rabbi? Just because it's a Jewish cultural icon, right? It's just, a, it's well, like pastor. Yeah. Apparently, right? I mean, it's a, I, to me, apparently, the, 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 he believes that the Torah commands have been done away with. Apparently, the commands of Yeshua have been done away with, too. What does it do with the Matthew passage where it says, let no man call you rabbi? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, to, you know, and uh, to be, I'm not trying to be mean to Michael here, but, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for exactly where he was coming from. I feel like I might've missed some of the earlier webinars, which I did, but I feel like maybe there, I, there would have been some more explanation because it was kind of this, uh, you know, this idea of nothing here, uh, nothing here on earth matters. Uh, kind of a thing. Uh, nothing physical matters. What matters is the spiritual. Uh, that's kind of the feel that I got from him. Uh, I know Andrew and uh, Adam are both in the chat room. Is that is that kind of the the feeling that you got from him that that nothing nothing on this earth, nothing physical matters? And that to me, that's uh, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay. Let's and maybe this next clip will will help us uh, understand. I mean, that's what I got from it. And may, listen to this clip, t- clip. Tell me if that's what you got. I'm sorry, that's not a good enough answer for some. And, and for the ones who have a problem with that answer, and I'm not saying that you do necessarily, Andrew, but... He's, he's talking about the idea of, of... I'm sorry, I brought this in. This is after Andrew's question about, uh, is the Torah just cultural? Is it just a culture, cultural identity marks? Uh, and, and he says yes. Uh, uh, Michael says yes. And so that's what he's responding to here have a problem with that answer are, are always non-Jews. Not that all non-Jews have a problem with that answer, but the ones who do usually are because it's, you know, it's you're coming from a, a different perspective. First of all, Andrew, the guy who <laughs> asked that question is Jewish. Okay, but let's keep Does going. Does ethnicity affect your perspective? Apparently, well, now this is where he's talking about having a Christian mindset. Yet he's the one who's preaching just straight Christian doctrine. So anyway, let's keep listening. And so you have the baggage of having been taught all these things in the church all your life if you're not Jewish and you're keeping uh, the ways of the Jewish people. And you like to feel like this is what God wants, that that you're somehow better with God if you're doing these things. Somehow you've got more love from him, more favor from him. You're more righteous. More holy. Ding. You're more connected to him. It's not true. You're not through Ding. those things. Those things are mental. They're mental. Those are things that are of the flesh. Don't you see that? Eating. Days that you observe. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There okay, wait, hang on. i got to stop it. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the, the kingdom of God. Does he think that? And this is where I'm getting very confused. Is, is he suggesting then that there's not going to be anything physical in the world to come? I love N.T. Wright's quote on this. N.T. Wright says, not on this, but he's not speaking against Michael, but N.T. Wright always says, heaven 
is a big deal, but it's not the end of the world. And that's so true. It's not the end of the world. Heaven, there is still physical things on, on in the new in the new earth. The only difference is that there's no sin, so there's no death. What what really sticks out to me is that, and it sounds this idea that keeping a commandment is trying to earn favor yeah. with God. Yeah, that just that that is so. He he's showing that he's locked into some sort of Christian. That streams within Christian uh, world. I don't, he's he's I, Christianized, and he but he's saying he's a Jewish perspective. I don't understand. Uh, you know, I to be honest with you, I don't know Michael's uh, uh, background, um, and you know maybe he has some training, but it doesn't seem like he's done a, a whole lot of diligent scholarly work. He he keeps mis you know, and one of the things that Adam Adam text messaged me. Uh, while this thing was going on, he said uh, he keeps, uh, you know, taking scriptures completely out of context. He's, you know, he's not doing justice to the text. And and he was a- and Adam was absolutely right. Uh, the other thing that I noticed is, and, and this is just a pet peeve of mine, um, ladies and gentlemen, to call Paul Rob Shaul is totally. It's. Uh, oh, did he do that too? Yes, he did. Um, if you don't know what the dings are, if you're just tuning in with us for the first time, you don't know what the dings are. We have seven uh, seven red flags to look for, and we try to ding someone every time they go against one of the red flags. We have to play our seven song. Okay, hang on just a sec. Let me find the seven song. Here you go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> That's it. I love how it just cuts off. Um, so, Rob... Okay, you might hear the difference between rabbi and rav. Rav is what was designated for teachers outside of the land of Israel in Babylon, in the exile. And once the, once the Jews returned to Israel, rav was a designation for rabbis outside of the land of Israel. And this is in way Babylon. after. This is way, yeah. Yeah, this is. Yeah. So uh, when, when people call Paul rav Shaul, it. it, it it doesn't make any sense because Paul was not from Babylon. My sense is, and I uh, before these last what thirty minutes, I never heard of this particular teacher. But just what I'm gathering, it just feels very elementary. Um, that, and I'll give you an example. He's, you know, the one little flag calling a a word that's Yiddish German, calling it Hebrew on his website. That has to do with soulmate and destiny. I, I think that's one flag. The Rav Shaul is another flag. The the idea that the uh, the command that people that Gentiles who are uh, wanting to walk in Torah are trying to earn favor with God. That's another flag. Well, it shows that he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the, the argument that we're making. The flag. The fact that he says it's a Jewish cultural. Uh, expressions these com- rather than mitzvot. He doesn't understand the concept of mitzvot means there's a mitzvah, a, a commander, which is a, has to do with kingdom, right? A king who gives what an commandments awesome to what his an servants, awesome picture. right? Yeah, what an awesome and then, picture. And, oh. and then the idea that he is on this steering committee, he, that he has the title rabbi himself, and he's on the steering committee that has basically slandered Tim Haig's position, totally, totally misrepresenting yeah. it, and then not replying. 
Yeah, and they to, and they won't they won't apologize for for saying yeah, that. I my, think this I think this guy is headed for deep, deep mischief. Oh, what? I, think, oh, we, I think we need to hear some Doctor Kaiser. <laughs> oh man, I think that view is headed for a deep mischief. Okay, so let's keep going. Right, two more clips of this, uh, and then we'll move on to what the what the the day really is going to entail. But uh, so. <laughs> He's talking now. He melds. This is another thing that makes me realize that this gentleman Michael has no clue between the distinctions um, of of two house and and one Torah. Okay. Uh, now he lumps both kind of in. That there are groups out there that are not Jewish that consider themselves to be Israel, and the the implication or the claim is. Because we keep the Torah, we are Israel. And in many cases, it, in, in the extreme, it's based on genealogical theories that they are somehow descended from the so-called lost tribes who... Okay, hang on. Let's go back. Apparently... I want to go back. ...out there that are not Jewish that consider themselves to be Israel. And the, the implication or the claim is because we keep the Torah, we are Israel. That is not the claim. Yeah, I, I, that is not the claim. It's not the uh, I, look. I, I can call myself a Gentile to in, to the Orthodox because my mother's not Jewish. My father is Jewish. Okay, but whatever. So you can call me Jewish or not. Um, but as a Gentile. At least in the in the eyes of the of the Orthodox Jews, as a Gentile, I don't believe that keeping Torah in any way makes me Jewish. It doesn't even make me Israel. What makes me part of Israel as a Gentile is the blood of the Messiah. I follow my a Rebbe, and my Rebbe is Yeshua, and that brings me into the fold of Israel. And it's exactly what brought the people that were coming out of it. What is you know what does Michael do with? with uh, the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. Is he saying that all those people were actually Jewish by blood, descended from Jacob? No, we know that they weren't. It says that they weren't. That ticks me off. Um, sorry, I'm getting a little, uh, you know, I get a little flustered about these things just because, you know, so, uh, what a horrible misrepresentation of, of belief and other things. And uh, Andrew, Andrew has made some wonderful comments. Uh, he made wonderful comments last night, but he's made some wonderful comments um, on on the forum as well. I won't go back and read them right now. Uh, but yes, if you want to be a part of the, the online forum that is happening live right now, if you're listening to us on Wednesday morning, you can do so by going to Torah Resource Radio, going up to the broadcast page, and go to the tour, uh, to the Robin Caleb show page. Okay, I got one more clip from this, and then we'll move on, okay? Um, and this one, I thought was, this one's a little bit longer. I thought this was interesting. Is not eating kosher and wearing tzitzit commandments for those who are in covenant relationship with him. Uh, I would answer that no. Um, it's pretty plain from Colossians 2.16. Oh. Yes, also, the um, leaders, the apostles in Acts 15, if you want to read it, I'm sure oh. you have addressed that issue. They did not command people. See, once again, it's just straight back to the Christian doctrine. It's just very much Christian. He's just parroting Christian doctrine. 
Yeah. Oh, Acts 15. It's Acts 15. Hang on just a sec, though. Let's listen to the end of this. Personally, to wear tzitzit or keep kosher, you can be in a covenant with God and eat pork and not wear tzitzit. I mean, it's, you see, circumcision is of the heart. Covenant is of the heart. Your relationship with God is spiritual, not of the flesh. What you put on over your shoulders is not going to bring you closer to God. Telling people that they need to do that is, it's a, uh, it grieves the spirit. Okay, so, uh, you know, here's the one thing that I took away from uh, Michael's webinar, okay? I took the, this is the one thing I took away from, from and, and Adam said this to me as well, um, is that I think that Michael does not have a firm grasp of the difference between justification and sanctification. I think that he does not understand the distinction. He talks about keeping Torah as if we are saying it's a justification issue. Torah is not a justification issue. It never has been. It never will be. There is nothing that we can do to to gain our salvation. And it could be, to give Michael the benefit of the doubt, that he has encountered people that have also made that mistake but are on the other side of the argument. In other words, and so... It's not that his comments are, uh, you know, th- th- absolutely ringing empty. There might be people out there who actually think that they are earning favor with God by doing the commandments. But that that doesn't even mean you have to be a follower of Messiah to make that error. You might you might be, you know, in Orthodox Judaism that's and, right. and have that belief. So that's not even a. Th- Anyway, but so anyway, so so I, I just want to leave on this. Now I want to leave this topic on this note. You know, we do not keep Torah for justification purposes. God justifies us first. He does that through the blood of the Messiah. He does that through through uh, the sacrifice that was given in His Son. That is how we are justified. Done. That there's nothing else to it. And as most of our regular listeners know, Rob and I are Calvinists. So it has nothing to do with us, in our, in our opinion, it has nothing to do with us choosing that even. We, uh, you know, we have choice, but, okay, let's not get into Calvinism. Anyway, the point is, is that uh, what Torah has to, to, to do with all of it is sanctification. God justifies us, and then he sanctifies us. He sets us apart unto himself. How does he do that? He has always done that through Torah. Whether you're a Christian or not, a, a Jew or not, uh, or a, even a Christian today, Christians are set apart by Torah. They might not realize that it's Torah, but that's how they're, that is how they're sanctified. They're sanctified by loving the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and strength. That's Torah. They're sanctified by loving their neighbors themselves. That's Torah. They're sanctified by not lying, by not gossiping, all these kind of things. These are all Torah commandments. They are sanctified by Torah. That's how God's elect have always been sanctified. And according to the word of God... I'm quite sure that that's how they will be sanctified in the world to come as well. At least in the millennial reign. Maybe not in the world to come. That could be debated. Let's Okay, so let's move on. This has been a uh, fun a fun little discussion. Uh, so anyway, let's move on to what really is at hand. Um, I, I do like Steve's comment. He sounds like a Presbyterian rabbi. <laughs> uh, Okay, so what are we really talking about today? What's the what's the topics for today? The topic is actually defending our Messiah. 
And uh, that might sound odd, but uh, I want to read a comment that was left for us on our YouTube channel, on my YouTube channel. It says, here is a link of a video slash audio of Tovia Singer examining the misinterpretations of the Hebrew placed in the Apostolic Gospels. If you don't know who Tovia Singer is, Tovia Singer is the director of Jews for Judaism. He is a Orthodox rabbi. Uh, well, I think he's an Orthodox rabbi. He's a rabbi and uh, a Jewish rabbi. He does not believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. In fact, he's dedicated his life to taking to going to Jews in the church and converting them back to Judaism. So he goes in, he tries to get the Jews out of the church and bring them back to the synagogue. That's his that's his whole life's work is trying to do that. I think that it will be, you know, we know from from scripture that uh, there will be a day when when Mr. Singer uh, accepts the Messiah, willingly or unwillingly, he will accept the Messiah. Um, my prayer is that he accepts the Messiah before <laughs> before the great and terrible day of the Lord, because I think that it would be a well, that would be something, wouldn't it? If this man who's dedicated his life to bring people out of the church into Judaism. If he turns to the Messiah, I think that that would be quite a testimony. Anyway, okay, so that's who Toby Singer is. But uh, I'm back to this. Uh, I'm back to this question. Specifically, he resides in the quotes in Matthew's Gospel that come from the Tanakh. He is an anti-missionary and has a good grasp of the writings of the Gospels in order to dispel them. I'm not an apologist, nor do I intend to be, but am more interested with the actual interpretations of Scripture from its original language. And meaning, as one who is learning Hebrew, I'd like to hear these addressed. You guys appear to have a good knowledge of the teachings of the Tanakh from the Hebrew viewpoint, and I'd love to hear these issues addressed. This is from a uh, YouTube user named Mark9v7. Okay, um, thank you very much for sending this in. This is actually a wonderful topic and one that I'm very happy to address, and I hope that Rob is as well. I know Rob's put a lot of uh, effort into looking into some of the, the things. We're going to be Lots. discussing, yeah, no. tons. Um, so let's see here. I I want to do this in a correct order. Tovia discusses different, so this is the first clip that we're going to listen to. We're going to listen to a couple of clips now. These clips are a little bit longer. They're sometimes around two minutes, which is not long at all, but much longer than we normally have for clips on this show. So uh, bear with us as we listen to some of these clips. Tovia uh, discusses different techniques, okay? So uh, in your show notes, I have given you... Several different things. You can find the show notes on our page on trradio.com. Uh, uh, you can also have them emailed to you if you sign up for them. Anyway, in the show notes, I gave you several different links. I gave you a link to Tovia Singer uh, giving this lecture, and that's where we're pulling most of these clips from. I also gave you uh, two debates that he did. One is with, uh, oh man, I forgot, uh, Craig Evans, Dr. Craig Evans. That one actually isn't that great. I didn't pull any clips from there, okay? Um, and honestly, I didn't think that Tovia really brought any argument or any good argument, really, to the to the uh, table on that. That's why it wasn't a great debate. The other one was with doc, Dr. Michael Brown on Sid Roth's Time is Running Out. Um, I'm, I'm a, I consider Dr. Brown a friend, uh, and I truly enjoy listening to him to deba debate uh, different people, even when I disagree with him. Uh, he is a, uh, Dr. Brown is not only holds to an Arminian viewpoint, which I do not, but he also is uh, 
Well, he he believes in you know he's friends with Benny Hinn and and uh, is much more of a Pentecostal and uh, believes in the moving of the spirit in ways that I would would probably disagree with him on. Anyway, all that to say, he is still an amazing apologist. I love to hear him debate, and so I would suggest if you really want to hear a good debate against Tobia Singer. That one is the one to listen to out of the show notes. Okay, so um, in this lecture that Toby Singer gives, he's discussing different techniques that Christians use to twist the scriptures. Okay, and the first method that he cites is not giving context. Okay, he cites Matthew two, three through uh, thirteen through fifteen, and then he quotes Hosea eleven one. Let's listen to this quote. Let's listen to this sound clip now by Toby Singer. Uh, and actually, this one's super long, okay? Uh, I'm not sure if I this was on purpose or not. This one is four minutes long, so maybe we'll have to stop this. But they believe that the Jewish people play a very important eschatological end-time role based on a passage in the book of Matthew at the end of one of the most virulently anti-Jewish chapters in the book of Matthew, and that's quite a standard. The very end of Matthew 23... Jesus is said, to have, is said to have said, I will not return unless you say, blesses he that comes in the name of the Lord. Because that entire chapter, it was devoted to essentially excoriating the Jewish people. The audience is Jewish. The church understands that to mean one thing. What he is actually saying is that he cannot make his second coming unless the Jew, that means you, have to be brought to the cross. So there's this- Okay, I want to stop right there. First of all, that passage... I don't think I've ever heard any Christian say that that is that, that we have to evangelize the Jews before the Messiah will come. Have you heard that, Rob? Yeah, that that was just Oh my. So I this is a misrepresentation of Christian doctrine in general. Um and I I also want to say Andrew uh brought up he asks uh, was he not talking about Toby Singer? Was he not a messianic one time? No, Toby Singer. And uh, this is, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I want to be, I, I want to be respectful. Uh, but at the same time, in almost everything that I've ever heard him do, he always starts with this story about how he was raised in, in New York in uh, Orthodox community. And he was an Orthodox Jewish boy, and he was uh, beat up and picked on and uh, whatnot by Christians on a daily basis. His childhood was just this horrible upbringing because of these Gentile Christians who uh, were horrible to him. I don't do. I definitely do not doubt that this is true. Uh, I you know he talks about how these these people would say that he killed their their Christ. And all sorts of things. Uh, This kind of anti-Semitism happens quite often. And it happens within the church too, unfortunately. So I don't doubt that these things absolutely happened to Tobia Singer as a child. However, what I do feel from this is that uh, Mr. Singer uh, now has an axe to grind. I feel like uh, one of the reasons that he has dedicated his life to uh, bringing Jews out of the Christian church is not out of love. It's pushing those bull. It's pushing back it's at the bullies. It's pushing back at the bullies, and that's very much how he he, he comes across. That's sad. It's very. That's, that, yeah. that's really heartbreaking. I mean, that's really really sad. Yeah, it is. And uh, I mean, I, for him to, if he legitimately, you know, suffered and was literally a victim of that sort of behavior, that's inexcusable in the name of Messiah Yeshua, because that's not the ruach Mashiach that would be motivating somebody to to do that to him. Exactly. And, 
Exactly. Um, so that's a shame on those people, you know, for for mo- most certainly. Um, so, so but, but uh, that doesn't legitimate his effort, you know. No, of course not. Um, here's the uh, here's the one clip that I grabbed. I felt like uh, Tovia when he speaks a lot of the time. You might not try to do this, but he sounds like he's auditioning for uh, the WWE, like the the World Wrestling Federation. Like he's you know like he's trying to be a big time wrestler. Uh, because he's like constantly yelling. There's never a time when he's down in this lecture. The whole time he is always like yelling at the audience. So. What the rock is cooking. <laughs> Effort worldwide to bring the Jewish people to Christianity. Oh, did I? Uh, this is this is what happened. This is why this cl- clip is so long. Let's see where did I pick it back up? Is that it? Oh, that's it. Okay, so that's why that clip was so long is because I. Okay, so um, let's go on to so that that's his uh, that's his first clip. But they believe that. Okay, hang on just a sec. So he's saying that this Matthew passage. Which is Matthew? What was it? Matthew two. It's like the end of Matthew twenty three. No, it's the uh, end of uh, it's Matthew two thirteen through fifteen, right? Oh, the one he was just talking about. Yeah, the most anti-Jewish is Matthew twenty three. He said, "Okay, that it's anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish." Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. So, um, I'm sorry. I'm not sure why I played that one first. That one was probably supposed to go somewhere else. So let's listen to. I'm sorry. I apologize, folks. I don't know where my head is. Uh, let's go now to his quote. Uh, his, his talking about Matthew 2, 13 through 15. Okay? So uh, that maybe set up Toby Singer for us a little bit. But here is uh, what he's going to be talking about in terms of uh, the passage that we really want to look at. Here we go. It's Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. Pay careful attention to the italic bold words at the end. And when they departed, here's our story. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Verse 15. Pay careful attention now. Careful attention. And was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Out of Egypt have I called my son. If you had a Christian study Bible, there would be a footnote there. And it would tell you that this passage, in fact, can be found in the book of Hosea, chapter 11. This passage is, in fact, in the Jewish scriptures. Mm -hmm. You should know that this verse, in fact, this passage quoted... Yes, he is quoting the KJV, by the way, uh, for those in the chat room. Yes, he is quoting the... All of Tovia's... Tovia constantly goes to the KJV. I think that's because that's probably what was quoted to him when he was growing up. Matthew does appear in the book of Hosea and say for Hosea. It's there. But for some reason, Matthew does something... That's striking. He only quotes a very small part of the original passage that appears in Sefer Hosea in the book of Hosea. And the question is why? Ordinarily, if you quote a verse, you quote it in its entirety. 
Why would you quote only one segment of the original passage? The answer to that question is simple. Matthew, meaning whoever wrote it, had no choice. He had to quote only the last segment of the original passage because had Matthew quoted the passage, the verse from Hosea, from Hosea in its entirety, it would become immediately obvious to the reader of the Christian Bible that this verse in no way is referring to the Messiah, but is referring to something else entirely different. Okay, let's actually go to Hosea real quick. Hosea 11, yes. Um, so there, there, There's so many. First of all, there, there's different things to say about this comment. One is whenever Scripture is quoted in a small fragment, in my view, it is to evoke the larger context. For example, when Paul says, who has believed our report, right? To whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? He's not just saying that verse. He's talking all about Isaiah Context, 52, yeah. 53. Or when Yeshua's on the cross. And, yeah. and, and he's going to bring... Well, yeah, okay. So when Yeshua's but, on the but cross... the point is this. If, however, if we want to take him at his, his... The way he's using weights and measures and then look at the Mishnah and rabbinic texts that take little things from the Scripture completely out of context, one of them is that it, we could do... It would just it would absolutely destroy the foundation of his religion. Because the Mishnah and the Talmud very much take scriptures, makes them mean something different. One of them is the don't follow a majority to do evil. Hmm. And it says they just say follow you need to follow the majority. In other words, they, they lop the, the context off and then build off it. There, there's all sorts of things like that. But that's not what Matthew's doing here anyway. But if we wanted to, my point is, if we wanted to use Singer's uh, method on his own tradition, on the, the framework of what he, if he's indeed orthodox, now I don't know if he's orthodox or not, he might think that the Mishnah and the Talmud are, are Jewish cultural expressions, just like uh, Michael Stepakov thinks they are for his world. So I, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen any. I did look around on his website, but I didn't see anything in Singer's website that talked about his perspective on halakha or anything like that. So, but my point is, he needs to be really careful how he approaches these things because if we take the same exact uh, approach to the Mishnah and the Talmud, it would absolutely fall apart underneath him. But that's not what Matthew's doing. Matthew is not just trying to twist scripture. There's a lot of parallel that is supposed to be evoked. The fact that that we see in Matthew chapter 1 itself, the genealogy of Yeshua, it mentions uh, you know, all, all the women. It mentions Rahab, mentions Ruth, or Tamar, right? It, it, uh, Rahab, Ruth. It mentions um, Uriah. The Hittite, right? Wife, uh, uh, husband of Bathsheba, and so on. Matthew's very, very knowledgeable of of Jewish tradition. When he now, when I say Jewish, I don't mean Talmud. I mean he understands the Judaic Davidic dynasty and all the stories thereof. So for him to quote Hosea eleven, it's not like he's thinking, "Oh, 
I'm going to get this one by people. You know, that's not his <laughs> gonna, thought at all. I'm going to pull one over on those guys. But rather, he's he's evoking these larger themes. One of which is that that in a way, Herod and his his the people that are uh, allied with him in Jerusalem are slaughtering innocent young boys in the same way that Pharaoh was slaughtering innocent young boys. It's like it's like the the leadership of Israel has, has essentially become like Egypt. And the Messiah as a youth is hidden from from that out from that uh terror and that murderous uh rampage that Herod goes on. Messiah is taken away from that and, and hidden from that for a time and then brought back. Uh and it's also, we're supposed to think of, uh, of, of Israel being delivered from Egypt as a whole because Messiah, there are many affinities between Messiah. He is the representative of his people. So there, these resonances are, are supposed to come to mind when we see this. Well, to, um, and to, and what Toby is, okay, so to, Toby is saying that, that, uh, that Matthew isn't quoting the entire, uh, you know, the entire uh, passage. So the whole verse says, when Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, they called my son. So what Tovia is now arguing is, is that, no, of course, this, this is not talking about the Messiah. This is talking about Israel, right? Um, okay. So I'm sorry, did I, did I cut you off, Rob? No, that's fine. It is. Ta- I mean, I, I think it is talking about Israel. It's talking about, it's talking about Israel coming out of Egypt, but it's also talking, it's also, we're supposed to, Matthew is, wants us to compare, wants us to see Yeshua as embodying the traits of the people as a whole. Well, this is uh, this is a quote from my father. This is in uh, his Matthew, his commentary on the Book of Matthew, Volume One, Page Sixty-Two. He says, "Thus, the quote in Matthew's story is given to parallel the Exodus event as the demonstration of God's covenant faithfulness to Israel, which resulted in her redemption with the coming of Yeshua as His Messiah, who would effect eternal redemption." Boom. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, he hit the, I think my dad hit the nail on the head on that one. Calling, I, calling when, when God says, I called my son out of Egypt. This, this has very, very powerful resonances with the ultimate deliverance of Israel. Because Egypt is symbolic for sin. As we see in the book of Revelation, you know, they're called, it's called Egypt. Herod slaughtering these, these innocents is like Pharaoh slaughtering um, you know, the children of Israel, sons. There's, there's all sorts of things that we're supposed, it's supposed to evoke this. It's not, <laughs> I think Singer is just, he, he doesn't get that because he's, he doesn't have eyes to see. That's all I can say. Oh, he's pushing against it, something fierce. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to, oh, this, uh, this is a good one. Now, I, I actually included, let's see here, I actually included in, um, in the show notes, a link to this entire paper that my father wrote. And I did so because it was just so good. Um, let me bring this up real quick before I even play this. Cause I don't, okay. Here's singers quote. Here's singers quote. This is Tovia singer. Let's close this. Sorry guys. I'm trying to get stuff organized on my screen here a little bit. Here we go. I'd like to read to you Psalm 22, the right side, that second row, Psalm 22, verse 17. Follow with me. For dogs have encompassed me, a company of evildoers have enclosed me, like a lion they're at my hands and my feet. Who is that speaking about? Okay, hang on just a sec. I just want to say, 
Now he, now he, he I, I love that he adds this. He says, like a lion, they're at my hands and my feet. If he's going to take this interpretation, it's not like a lion, they're at my hands and my feet. He is now supplied, they're at my, or they're at. What the Hebrew would actually say, he's supplied that. What the Hebrew would actually say, to take this interpretation would be, like a lion, my hands and my feet. Which gives the text zero, it, like, it, it has no flow to it. It doesn't, it's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. Like a lion, my hand and my feet, my hands and my feet. What in the world does that mean? Uh, okay, so back to, back to Topia. Closed me like a lion. They're at my hands and my feet. Who is that speaking about? Let's try that one more time. I'd like you to sweep your eyes over to the left side of that row. And I'm going to read that exact same verse to you, but how it appears in a King James Version Bible, in a typical Christian Bible. It, almost, it would make almost no difference which Christian Bible you would use in this case. Follow along with me now. As you can see, it's now Psalm 22, verse 16, but it is the same passage. For- and he explains this, the, why the numbering's off. Okay, but the numbering is off. So if you're reading Hebrew Bible, it's going to be one more verse. So this is 16. It's in the English, it's 17 in the Hebrew. Dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. What word, what key word has been mistranslated? The word is ka'ari. What does the word ka'ari mean? Like a lion. The word ari means a lion. Ka'ari means like a lion. So what you've got is, you've got here a big screen here, Microsoft Word. You take the word like a lion, you select it with your mouse. You have now white letters on a, you have white letters on a blue background. You tap the delete key, they disappear, and you insert the word they pierced, and suddenly you have a brand new message. You have a message of the cross. How do you dare tamper with my Bible? How do you alter the Jewish scriptures? And if you're going to play with my text, you think I'm going to get baptized, convert to Christianity, destroy my relation with my God? By people, my heritage of a Bible tampering. Okay, and here's the wow. here's the interesting thing is that Tovia Singer right now in this quote is not being honest with his audience. Not at all. Not <laughs> at all. In fact, he's duping his audience, and he's doing so yeah. out of spite for the the Christian the Christian faith. I want to read you uh, just the beginning of this article by my father. You know, and basically these things were uh, Peter, easy. Dr. Peter Flint, yeah, too. Exactly. Well, and, and yeah. And so the reason I keep going back to my father is because he's basically uh, touched on all of these subjects and, you know, he's written extensively on them. This is from Psalms twenty two sixteen, like a lion or they pierce my hand they p- pierce my hands. Um, and uh, you can find all of my father's stuff on Torahresource.com. dot com. This is this article is under English articles. OK, uh, hang on. Let me cough. I'm going to read the beginning of this for everyone. An ancient uh, controversy has surfaced once again in our times. It revolves around the text of Psalm 22, 16, verses 17 in Hebrew. In the Hebrew Masoretic text, and let's talk about this real quick. So the Masoretes, we've talked about the Masoretic text before on this show. The Masoretes, who are they? They are uh, rabbis who, uh, and well, scribes more than rabbis. They're scribes who uh, copied Hebrew texts. And one of the things that they did was they kept the tradition of the pointing. When we say pointing, we mean vowels. Unlike English, the vowels within the, uh, within the Hebrew text are not necessary. And so uh, you don't have to have them to be able to read the, the text. The Masoretes wrote down 
different vowels and whatnot, but they did so not in the Torah scrolls. They did so in uh, books and, and uh, Sephiroth and, and whatnot. Anyway, so uh, th- these, the earliest that we have, uh, re- jog my memory, uh, Rob, what's the earliest that we have, the earliest witness that we have of, of the Masoretes uh, uh, putting, pointing in, in a mis- Masoretic oh, text? Probably 6th to 7th century. Okay, 6th to 7th century. Com- common era. Common era. Okay, and and then what happens? They decide in the 10th century, the beginning of the 10th century, late 9th century, early 10th century, they decide that they're going to standardize the text. They decide that there's too many uh, different schools of, of uh, Masoretes. And so what they do is they take all of the texts that aren't one speci- from one specific school and they either bury them or they put them into uh, uh, Genesis. Uh, and so uh, these are rooms which, which they wall up so that nobody knows that they're there. Okay. And basically they get rid of all these texts. And so now they have a standardized text, which is the 10th century text that we now have. Okay. And we have a couple, we actually have two, two main schools of Masoretic texts that uh, are witness to, but the earliest that we have really of the Masoretic text is the 10th century. B- uh, CE, right. common era, okay? Um, so when he talks about, this is what he's talking about when he says the Masoretes. In the Hebrew Masoretic text, the verse reads, for dogs have encircled me, an evil congregation surrounded me, like a lion, my hands and my feet. The Septuagint, I'm re- once again, if you haven't figured it out, I'm back to my father's article. The Septuagint translation, however, did not read the Hebrew word ka'ari, okay? Like a lion, but rather... Ka'aru, they dug. And thus, they translated the word with the Greek word uh, oruxon, oruxon, they dug. Oruxon, good. Or they yeah. pierced. Yes, my, my Greek, those of you who don't know, Rob is actually my Greek teacher uh, as we speak. I'm in his Greek class, so i got to try to show off a little bit here. Uh, so they dug or they pierced. The difference was was whether the original word ended with a vav or a yod. So there's only one where Mr. Singer here tries to tell us that we actually erased, the Christians came in, they erased this word and they put in a different word. How dare you tamper with my, with my Bible? Actually, what the difference is between ka'ari and ka'aru is a yod from a vav. Anyone who's taken Hebrew knows that the only difference between a yod and a vav is about half of a line. It's whether you ex- you stop the line short or you extend the line down to you know your invisible line down here. That's the only difference. Just one little tail, um, a straight tail at that. Okay, and so uh, I'll keep going with my father's uh, my father's article here. Virtually all English translations, except those offered by the Jewish publications, have followed the Septuagint translation instead of the Masoretic text, giving us the well-known phrase "They pierced my hands and my feet." To some, this this appeared as an obvious example of Christians translate, translators choosing to follow the Septuagint because it fit their messianic interpretation of the passage, disregarding the clear regarding of the Hebrew original. What is more, the Septuagint was accused of changing the original to bolster the Christian interpretation of the Psalms. Unfortunately, the Psalms scroll found at Qumran did not include 
uh, Psalm 22, 16, 17 in the Hebrew, because the, mas- the, mas- uh, the manuscript rather was damaged at the very place where it would have appeared. The pre-Masoretic text seemed lost forever, that is, until recently. Scraps from, the sc- from a scroll containing some of the Psalms were discovered at Michal Hever. And one scrap contained the line from Psalm 22:16 with the word in question well in view. Though the writing on the scrap was faint under the ma- uh, magnification, it was easy to see the, and decipher. The word clearly ended in a vav and not a y- and not a yod, and was therefore a third-person plural word. They dug or they pierced. This is Dead Sea Scrolls, right? So this is 1,300 years before Utovia Singer's Masoretic text that he is now reading out of. So Ka'ari is as a lion. Ari is the word for lion. Yes. Karu, without an olive, but a, but a vav at the end, they pierced. Not an olive, a yod. Or, or a vav at the end. Yeah. What I mean, Karu has no olive in it, though, at all. The, Correct. The spelling in Masoretic text is Kaf, olive, resh, yod. So, no, wait, hang on. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one. The uh, It looks like the picture that I'm looking at of Ka'aru is Kaf, Aleph, Resh, Vav. And that's, Do you have, the, you have the Dead Sea Scroll one? Yep. Okay. So it's Kaf, Aleph, I thought Resh. There was, I didn't think there was an Aleph. There's a Vav so, in there, though. Yeah, so the only, differ- the only difference between these two words is a Yod at the end and a Vav at the end. That's the only difference. There is some manuscript that has karu without an olive, which means they pierced also. So there's a Hebrew manuscript. That I don't that, disagree with you on. What's that? That I don't disagree with you on. Oh, I'm, okay, sh- I'm yeah. sure you're so much... So in other words, yeah. and, and aside from that, they, we have three different ancient translations of, from Greek that all take, they pierced, they shackled, or they fettered. They, tr- they tried to, they sought to to uh, fetter or bind my hands and my feet. Nothing about a lion. So we have the main Septuagint, and then we have the, the what they call the Aquila translation, which is supposedly done by a Jewish person and used in the synagogues, Aquila, which is they shackled. In other words, they, they were still trying to make sense of it, but it had nothing to do with a lion. And those are our an- most ancient witnesses. Um, so, I, you know, it's, it's possible that the scribes, cha- you know, put the yod there instead of the vav. You know, I, it seems like that. But I think in the point is we've got a, a big, huge textual history and wit- a set of witnesses on the table, and Singer is preventing his audience from from seeing that. Well, what Singer's not Singer Singer is trying to make it sound as if the Christians changed it to make it a messianic text. And actually, the evidence points the opposite. The opposite. Exactly. The, uh, the yes. evidence points to the scribes, the Jewish scribes, the Jewish non-believing scribes changing it to like a lion from they pierced to make it not be a messianic text. And probably because Christians were using this text and they have ever since the Messiah came to prove that Yeshua is the Messiah. And so, uh, you know, it's a little bit offensive that that uh, Singer is so bold in saying, we changed his text, and how dare you change my text? How dare you not, uh, Mr. Singer, how dare you not uh, be honest with your audience 
and show the 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 truth of what the text says. Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's let's move on. I hope that clears that up for uh, our audience at least, even if his audience is not going to uh, hear this. Okay, let's keep going. Um, so the next one is. Um, let me see if I have anything to say about this before. Nope, four. Okay, here is our next clip. And if you take a look at Matthew chapter 1, so we're going back one chapter, chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in dreams, saying, Joseph, you son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her, is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. And she will bear a son, he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord, through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, and here is the, past, the quote from the Jewish scriptures, as we are told by Matthew, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means, God is with us. Now, if, we had a, if you had a Christian Bible with you, and you were looking at Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, at the quote, it would tell you that you can find this verse in the book of Isaiah. And it's not in the book of Isaiah, but it's the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. And there is the passage that foretells, that prophesizes that the Messiah would be conceived of a virgin. And if you follow along with me, you'll notice something strange. How do you say the word virgin in the Hebrew language? Betula. And the word virgin, betula, in Hebrew is such a, it's a very stable word. Because it is the only word in both biblical and modern Hebrew that conveys, that encapsulates virginity. The only word. You will not find this word that appears well over a hundred times in the Jewish scriptures. The prophets had no problem using it. It was an important word if they meant to use it. But that word does not appear here. The original Hebrew says, L'chein yitain Hashem hu l'chem os hinei Behold, Alma. what does the word Alma mean? It means a young woman. What does the word Alma mean? Behold, the young woman is with a child. Okay, so once again, our... I, I have to say, I just it makes me like his... Uh, we're talking about cultural Jewish yep. tradition, his Ashkenazic, like his... All his tavs are S's. Yep. I don't know if anybody noticed that. This is so he's definitely learned, and his oys, there's a, oh, a strong oh, Ooh, oh, yeah. oh, oh sound. That's, that's uh, his, the German Yiddish uh, Ashkenaz background there. Um, but the bet, thing, we should talk about Betula for a moment. Oh, absolutely. And, and once, once again, I, I just have to say before we get into this, once again, he just leads his audience down this path. And and is not being honest. He's just not. Be, he's not giving. Uh, we need to go. Yeah, go we, for it. We need to look at Genesis twenty-four, because in Genesis twenty-four, it where we you we encounter both these words. We it's talking about um, about Rebecca, Rivka, right? Rivka, the That's wife right. to be. 
of, of Yitzchak, of Isaac. And it says in, in Genesis 24, 16, it says the girl was, was very beautiful. Ana'ara tovat mare me'od. Very beautiful. Betula. And just uses the word betula. Ve'ishlo yada'a. And a, and a man had not known her. Okay, so betula, by here, it's, it's slightly ambiguous. We don't know if it can fully mean virgin or not because it says ve'ishlo yada'a. Man had not known her. So that we're in Genesis 24. But then, in, it still continued down the story in verse 43. She's called an Alma. So in Genesis 24, Rivka, she's called an Alma. She's called a Betula. And it says, Ishlo Yada'a. Man has not known her. So, I think he's he's kind of setting up a, a straw man. I oh, see this totally. betula. In other words, his argument, Singer's argument is, if the prophet meant virgin, he would have said he would have said, he would have said betula, and that's a false claim. He can't prove that. He he throws that out there, but there you you know he, he can't prove that. Okay, so here's what I have. I have uh, Alma does mean young woman. However, this is the same word described as uh, for Rebecca before she marries Isaac, just as Rob has just told us. The translators of the Septuagint translated the word Parthenos, which strongly implies virginity. My father writes in his paper on the virgin birth that can be found on TorahResource.com under the article section, quote, it is interesting to note that every Greek version of the Tanakh translates Alma in Isaiah 7.14 with Parthenos until the, tra- uh, until the translation of Aquila, which was 130 CE, who changes pa- Parthenos to Neonis, I don't know, I, he didn't give me the Greek here, young woman. It is clear that Aquila's translation was driven by a concern to deprive Christians of a, a proof text in regard to the virgin conception of Yeshua. And this in, in itself proves that Parthenos was widely understood to mean virgin. So not only do you have uh, this word Alma being used for Rebecca in, in the Torah, but it seems as though, uh, you know, and the, the apostolic writers, the person who actually asked this question believes that the, the apostolic scriptures were written in Hebrew. I disagree with that strongly. Um, I'm quite confident that they were written in Greek. And so uh, I don't think that we have to try to translate the, the apostolic scriptures back into Hebrew. Um, I think that uh, Matthew was writing in Greek. And uh, so I, I think that, uh, you know, he's looking at the Septuagint here and it's saying virgin. So he uses the same word. He's using the same word as the Septuagint. And the Septuagint uses this word because, you know, it's, it can be translated that way. It can be, it, Parthenos can translate, uh, you know, can translate the uh, Alma. That's the point. Okay, let's keep going. Um, so now we're going to move and actually I screwed up. I didn't put into the show notes, uh, the, this next uh, link and I apologize for that. Um, it's a very short video. It's a three minute video by Tobia Singer. He gives four reasons. Actually, Rob, you wanted your clip first, right? 
Oh, yeah. Well, we could, it's just the short idea, if you don't mind playing just that initial. I do not mind at all. So this, uh, I'm sorry that this is in your show, show notes, the link to this. You can find this on uh, YouTube. It's uh, Toby Singer clip on why Jesus is not the, the Jewish Messiah. It's only three minutes long. You can find it. And here is uh, just a very short clip that Rob wanted me to play. Here you go. They claim that Jesus somehow fulfilled these prophecies, but really, what does the Jewish scripture say about the Messiah? Why doesn't Judaism accept this Christian claim? That's good. Why uh, Specifically, is why doesn't Judaism accept dot, dot, dot. That's the phrase I think is important. So here's someone who's speaking for, quote, this, this entity called Judaism. I'd like to see, see, see this, the reason this is slightly rabbit trail, I suppose, but if you took someone from like UMJA, right, who defines what Judaism is, like Dr. Kinzer or something, you know, who has a different idea of Judaism, it shows that, that there's not, Judaism is not a uniform voice, right? I mean, it's, it's this vague, um, it's like Christianity. You know, what is it? The term doesn't get us very far. The scripture doesn't define what it is. So you're gonna, every person you ask is going to have a different definition, right? Because there's no scripture to, to, to tie down but the let, meaning. Let me, let me play devil's advocate here for a few seconds, Rob. You, would, you can say that Judaism pretty much as a whole today rejects Jesus as the Messiah. That, I, I think Tovia would argue that. I think that he's arguing that, yeah, that the definition, what he defines as Judaism in the world, and probably if you interviewed Christian, the Christian world of what defines Judaism, they'll say, oh, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that that would be the defining characteristic. So when he uses Judaism, I mean, it, it resonates with us in that manner because we pretty much associate it that way. So what's the... What? So, so is that what Judaism is then? So if, if in other words, if I interviewed an Orthodox person and ask them what Judaism is and then a reformed and then a, a secular Jew, they're probably going to all define it differently. They're, they're not going to, it's not that they all agree that Yeshua is not the Messiah. It's that that's when, that's what we get when, when an outsider is asked what Judaism is. And actually Tobias Singer in another place, I didn't grab this clip, but in another place he actually says that I think actually in that uh, interview with uh, Craig Evans, he says how sad that it is that, you know, if somebody says, are you Jewish or what is what is Judaism? I wouldn't say it's not believing in Jesus because I don't want Judaism to be defined by not believing in. I don't want it. But to this be- is the hurdle that like like we saw with FFOZ's statement about Messianic Judaism or Dr. Kinzer's statement that they want to have. Um, they want to establish their Judaism as an official branch of Judaism. That's the hurdle they have. I mean, that's. I'd like to see those guys talk with Singer, because that's when you're going to get into these critical definitions. Okay, so we were talking. Anyway, we, we don't have to spend a lot of time. Well, he he, t- he uh, in this video he talks about four reasons. Four reasons why um, Yeshua would not be the Jewish Messiah. Let's listen to his four reasons here. and it lacks evidence. Tanakh tells us, our Hebrew Bible tells us, that there are certain events that will unfold in the Messianic age. 
when Mashiach comes, there'll be an ingathering of the exiles. That's Ezekiel chapter 37. The knowledge of God will cover the world as the water covers the sea. That's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9 and verse 10. There'll be a resurrection of the dead. That's Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. The temple, the third and final temple will be rebuilt. If you look today at the Temple Mount, you'll see there a couple of Islamic shrines and it's laying in destruction, waiting for the redemption. But Ezekiel chapter 37, all the way through 47, describes the third temple that will, will be there forevermore. So we have all these messianic prophecies telling us what the Mashiach is supposed to do. And now we ask the question, there have been hundreds of people throughout history, maybe thousands, who've claimed to be the Messiah, Jesus included. What do they all have in common? They didn't fulfill a single one of these prophecies. There was no building of the temple during the first century. In fact, it was destroyed. There was no ingathering of exiles during the first century. The Jews were exiled. There was no resurrection of the dead. The Jews were murdered by the Romans in the ongoing wars. There was no worldwide knowledge of God during the first century because as a result of these wars with Rome and the destruction, the havoc of the destruction of the Second Commonwealth. Okay, so, um, you know, slam dunk right there, right? Yeah, he's, yeah and this is <laughs> Maimonides, right? Yeah. The Rambam, as we like to say, Rambam, no, the Rambam. He basically made the same thing. Yeshua is a, was a failed Messiah, uh, that there were a lot of people, a lot of Jews throughout history claimed to be the Messiah. They had good intentions, but they failed. I mean, that's kind of, that's a big theme that you'll see out there in the world. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, the resurrection of the dead did happen. Yeshua rose from the dead. And others. And others. That's the, the first fruits. There is such thing as a, a second coming. There is the the world is filled with the knowledge of God. It doesn't mean everybody. It, one of the things Paul says in Romans is that they knew God, but they deliberately sinned, having knowledge that it was transgression. But the word of God is throughout the world. Now, you know, I I think if in terms of world religion, I think they say Christianity has the most people. Um, now, does that mean? all their understanding of theology is correct. And does that mean everybody who claims to be a Christian is truly born again, born from above? Certainly not. But, uh, you know, Singer is going to be one of those that would also talk about violence against Jews, you know, Jews as being the, the eternal victim, you know, of, of Christians, Christian violence. And that, that just completely skews uh, the history. Whoa, as if, whoa, whoa, Rob! That sounds that sounds uh, very what anti-Semitic. <laughs> very uh, uh, come on, you're coming down on the Jews a little, huh? <laughs> yeah. I'm playing with you, but let's play the music anyway. Why do you hate the Rob and Caleb show? Honestly, I think they're vain, stupid, and incredibly self-centered. Okay, let's listen to the... Well, I, I'm sorry, were you finished? Well, I was just going to say, you know, we, we evaluate... You sh, it says, by their fruits you shall know them. Mm -hmm. 
they'll know you they'll know you're my disciples by your love right i mean we it's okay you i don't mind it if if someone who doesn't believe in yeshua uses the words of yeshua to make judgments about the people claiming to be yeshua's disciples that's fair that's fair game bring it on that that we need that but you, when we start saying Christianity versus Judaism, we get to that same problem. And it's like what uh, First Fruits of Zion did in their book, Ten of David. There's a statement there that Boaz Michaels makes about um, violence. You know, I'm totally paraphrasing here. It's in my article. It's in my review of the book that the violence of, of the Holocaust and violence against Jews is laid at the feet of the church or something like that. And that's too... That is attributing guilt to a non-entity. You know what I mean? It's, real, it's, not, it's not like God can judge, quote, the church. He judges, he judges his people, but I can't, I can't blame somebody else for what I did. You know what I mean? I can't blame, Caleb, I can't blame you. I'm, I'm accountable. <laughs> You're accountable. It's we're, we have, we're dealing with, with legal situation. You can't attribute guilt to a non-entity. And so, you know, Christianity or the church, those are non-entities. Now, if you want to talk about specific, you say this pope at this time issued this thing, and these people responded this way, and they did this, and they ended up killing, you know, a bunch of Jews from this village and from that village, you know, if you want to go into to the Crusades or things like that. God knows all the facts in those situations. He knows who's guilty. He knows their hearts. And God's going to judge those people. But you can't attribute that to, quote, Christianity. It doesn't work. And I, that's another little theme behind Singer's worldview here is the difference between, quote, Christianity and Judaism. And he's playing on that. And it just perpetuates the, the dumbing down of of the listeners and it bothers me I'm a Catholic which is the best of all the religions really because we have the most rules and the best clothes okay let's listen to um, Singer's next quote here we go uh, oh no I'm sorry this is not Singer's quote <laughs> I actually pulled a quote of Dr. Michael Brown responding to the kind of what Singer brings up in his four Reasons why Yeshua is not the Messiah. So I want to listen to uh, Dr. Brown. I have two. Qu- I have two things from him. Here, here we go. But regarding the Messiahship of Jesus, number one, uh, there's nowhere where Tovia can point in the Bible where it says, "When the Messiah comes, this will happen. When the Messiah comes, that will happen." We both have to agree that we have to look at the Scriptures and interpret what is and what is not messianic. Uh, the second thing is, if it was so crystal cut and clear, you would not have so many traditions within Judaism over the years discussing who the Messiah is and what will happen when he comes. You have a, the, the greatest philosopher in medieval Judaism, Rav Sa'aja Gaon, living in around the 9th century. Uh, in his famous book of beliefs and opinions, he devotes a section to what will happen when the Messiah comes, and he was doing it to educate the people. Several generations after that, they were still asking questions because they weren't clear on it. The fact is, Jesus and Jesus alone is the only possible candidate for being the Jewish Messiah. The fact of the matter is, the Messiah had to come before the Second Temple was destroyed. 
The fact of the matter is that he alone has brought the Gentile world into the knowledge of God, into praying for the God, uh, to, to the God of Israel. And the fact of the matter is that there are certain things that had to be fulfilled, had to happen, that if he was not the Messiah, there can't be a Messiah because there are no longer any potential candidates for it. And I would stake my life and eternity on the fact that he and he alone is the Jewish Messiah. Um, he brings well up. Well put. Yeah. Uh, he, wow. na- he nails it. Well put. Um, and nailed it. Nailed it. Um, I, <laughs> oh, we should have that as a sound clip. Nailed it. Um, hang on just a sec. Actually, let's see what I have for sound clips real quick. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I won't try to That's find okay. something. But anyway, um, so I'm, I'm actually looking for what he, what he uh, is referencing here because he says that the Messiah, Dr. Brown says that the Messiah had to come before the temple was destroyed. And it's in Daniel 9. Man, where is that? Prophecy in the place most holy. You, so you know, Jerusalem. Aha, okay, so um, Daniel 9.25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of, the, of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in uh, times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be a war, desolation, and uh, uh, desolations are determined. So it says that the Messiah has to be cut off before the destruction of the temple. I actually asked a rabbi one time that uh, on a website. I um, I just asked, you know, what do you do with, with this? Uh, it's, it says that uh, the Messiah had to be cut off. Doesn't this prove that Jesus was the Messiah? And uh, the rabbi responded, and he said, no, it doesn't prove that he was the Messiah. And I said, well, how does it not prove that he wasn't the Messiah? And his re- uh, this is no joke. His response was, well, Jesus wasn't the Messiah, so we know it wasn't talking about him. Basically, he started with Jesus. Say again. So Jesus wasn't the he- Messiah, so we know that this Daniel passage couldn't be talking about him. Oh, so it's just reverse. Yeah. In other words, we we start with the premise that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, and that's what proves that this Daniel passage wasn't talking about him. So that was good, and I love what uh, Adam says, uh, or what, uh, who said it? Uh, smack down by, anyway, slow clap for Dr. Brown. <laughs> okay, let's listen to this one from Dr. Brown, too. Uh, this is in regards to the same same issue. Okay, so he's responding, same kind of thing. Here we go. But even the Talmud asked the question: Will he come in the clouds of heaven, or will he come riding on a donkey? And the answer is, and it's just one opinion given in the Talmud. Well, therefore, righteous will come with the clouds of heaven, and if we're wicked, he'll come riding on a donkey. I say no. First he came riding on a donkey, one person, and then he will come in the clouds of heaven. Why? Because every word of the Hebrew Bible is going to be fulfilled, not either or. Also, it says in the end of Isaiah 52, a passage I'm sure we'll get into at great length in a little while, it gives us a clear picture of the servant of the Lord, who uh, many rabbis have recognized as a messianic passage. Uh, And it says that the very same one who will be highly exalted, the Hebrew says, Behold, my servant will do wisely. He will be exalted and lifted up and very high. That very one who will be highly exalted will first be marred and beaten and rejected and die before he rises 
into his exaltation. So there are many indications that we do have uh, about the two phases of Messiah's that gives me goosebumps. ministry. As I said, yeah. rabbinic traditions have developed some thought about two different messiahs. We say, no, there's not a messiah son of Joseph, uh, Joseph and a messiah son of David, but rather one messiah, Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. You know these me- the messianics who always down me and Rob for uh, for you know talking to Michael Brown and whatnot. I get this all the time. I get people saying, "Oh yeah, well you like Michael Brown? Uh, he he uh, you know he he went on to B- Benny Hinn's show and and you know some guy he is. Listen to the guy. Doctor Brown's faith is not only extraordinary. I disagree with him on on many things, but his faith is not only extraordinary. But he is a dynamite apologist. I don't care who you are. And he just hit the nail right on the head, man. He defends the faith just so well. And that's fine if you want to throw Dr. Brown out because he, you know, because he's been on Benny Hinn's show or because he, uh, you know, he's a Pentecostal or um because he's an arminian or whatever or because he you know says the torah is not for uh not for today but the point is is that there's a lot of christians who are very strong believers who are doing wonderful things for the faith who uh hold the things that you're not going to believe in but i think in this case dr brown shows his his wisdom and uh shows his theological muscles man he i i mean i think that he just kind of he uh, he danced around Tobia Singer in that in that debate, uh, you know, like a seasoned boxer would with with someone he's sparring with. It's uh, he uh, he just holds himself very well. Okay, uh, that's all I got. That's all I got. You uh, you want to say anything? Yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, Singer he's trying to appeal to irrational thought, like reason, and I think if we wanted to use some of the some of the tools that he's uh, impressing his audience with, and he seems to, it, it appears that he gets mileage out of. Uh, if we took some of those same uh, criticisms and put them on to the rabbinic text that he holds as holy, um, it, would, it wouldn't uh, go very well for him. Um, but ultimately, that doesn't matter. Ultimately, we can pray for, like, like Paul did, just like the, the Apostle Paul prayed for the salvation of Israel. And that includes uh, Michael Singer, or, or Tovia Singer. It includes Michael Stepakoff. Um, whether, you know, it, it, our heart cries out that God would redeem his people, that God will save his own, and ultimately... Just like with Paul, Saul of Tarsus, we don't know if there's this person who's persecuting Yeshua believers one moment can be radically uh, changed just by God's by God's sovereign doing. So we always hold out hope. Just because we disagree with Singer and just because we disagree with uh, Stepakov doesn't mean we hate them. That's not that. We're, these are just people who are, have a vocal. Or you know they they have a forum, they're being vocal about their views, and we're just doing the same, right? I mean, we're just using a forum that we have to be vocal and to be part of that larger back and forth. It doesn't mean we're being hateful, but rather that our our 
relationship with the creator of the universe is anchored in a faith that is a gift from heaven, mm-hmm. as the scripture says, faith is a gift, and that it is given to us not by what we've done, but by the work of one man, Yeshua of Nazareth, who I believe it with every cell of my being is somehow mysteriously God in the flesh, mm-hmm. the word made flesh, and that he took on himself the payment. He paid the price for, for what he did not owe, for what we owed, for what his people owed. Because the nature of the covenant was one that he was going to guarantee. Not, and that's, that's a, we're to understand that as a reflection of God's character, that God's character first is love, graciousness. It says uh, uh, um, merciful, long-suffering, right? Forgiving sin for, th- for thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments, Right? That's, that's God's first character. That's why the greatest commandment for us is to love him and to love our neighbors. Because why? Because he wants us to be like him. He wants to hang out with us. He wants to have us to have the joy of fellowship in holiness, in that love. And that's the core. That's, that's what our life is. Our, our eternal relationship with God is based on that love and what he did for us. And for us to grow in the understanding that that was an expression of his true character, of his love for us. And that's part of the, that's, that's what undergirds the joy. The joy is that we're forgiven. That means we're new creations. That means God doesn't look at us and see the sin that, that we've committed in, in our past. He doesn't see that. When, when we're repented, we're like new creations to him. He sees us with joy as a father it shines his... A light upon his children as his face, as it says, shines upon us. That's what we have with, that's, that's just a gift. It's just an awesome, amazing, eternal gift that we have. How do we explain something like that to like Tovia Singer, who just, who is just looking, you know, and Paul, I mean, we have our scriptures. Paul says that, you know, that today there's, in Paul's day, that is, there were Jews who were reading the scriptures, but there, the veil, there's a veil there that covering they don't see Messiah. Their heart, they're still reading the words and they're interpreting it, but they don't see Messiah Yeshua. And, and we can pray that, that our Father would, would open the hearts of, of people like Tovia Singer. And um, anyway, that, that's just what comes to mind for me. I totally agree with you. Um, yeah, that's one thing that I think is that uh, we, should be, uh, we should be praying for Tovia. I think that we should be praying that the Lord will change his heart. Because, man, what a, what a testimony that would be. That would be unreal. Okay. Well, hey, I hope that you've all had fun. Thanks, everyone, in the chat room. It looks like you guys are having fun. And uh, <laughs> join us next week. I don't know what we're talking about. We're going to talk about something. It's going to be a good time. And uh, always fun talking about these things. Remember that you can always stand firm in the truth that we have the true Messiah. And uh, that he did come, and we have his words in our hands. And that Messiah is our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.